it's a game of uh, endurance and uh, and numbers. You know what I mean? And the more exercises, the more reps you do, um, the easier you're going to see things and the numbers are just going to look right. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Creating Wealth Podcast, where I, Kyle, from Kyle Curtin Real Estate, interview local top dogs in the real estate investing, wealth building, and personal finance industries. Let's build together. What's up, guys? We have a very inspiring, super local guest on this week's episode of the podcast. Dan is constantly in the real estate space be it through his multiple different investments or even his W-2 job. In yet another two-part, crazy, information-filled episode, we get the awesome opportunity to chat about a ton of really great, super helpful tips for anyone at any part of their real estate investing journey. In this first episode, we delve deep into a bunch of super actionable topics, from the potential power in being the second best offer, paying your tuition cost, adapting the mind of the appraiser, and so much more. There is so much to take in in this episode, and I hope you enjoy. Let's jump right into the episode. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 58 of the Creating Wealth podcast. Today, we have the great pleasure of chatting with Dan Milanazzo. Dan is a phenomenal local investor with a construction foundation with a passion for investing. He works as the senior director of construction for a nationally traded REIT. Uh, what is going on, Dan? How are you, man? What is new? Fantastic. Happy Sunday. You too. <laughs> Weather's not too bad. No. It's Look turning. It's turning, but not yet. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we uh, stay away from the, the white stuff a little bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> snow for, for all those people out there. Yeah, not, not, not <laughs> yeah the we're in the Northeast. It's, it's snow, people. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, so we can we could kind of jump right into things and, and have some fun. So Dan, you know, what, uh, what kind of got you into like real estate and like, you know, your backstory and jump right in. <laughs> Sure. Um, well, I mean, I remember um, I was in college. Uh, I went to school in uh, Boston, went to Wentworth mm-hmm. Institute of Technology. And while I was there, there was actually uh, a real estate wealth expo uh, from put on by the Learning Annex. I think it was 2000. I want to say 2006. Um, and it was Donald Trump and Robert Kiyosaki and all the big names. And I was in Boston. So what's the, like, no, no point in missing it. It's right there. It's nice and local. So I was like, I'm just going to go to it. And I like the idea, um, you know, because I've already had a little bit of an entrepreneurial mindset, which we can dive into a little. Um, but uh, that was kind of the, the real kickoff. Um, so at that meeting, at that uh, annex, I went to all three days of it and uh, bought a lot of guru courses that I probably should not have. <laughs> Um, and uh, got roped into one guru course where they said, oh, if if you don't have a credit card with enough limit, first thing we're going to do is we're going to get you a credit card, and you're going to call us back with the limit. And I said, okay, fine. So I did it, called them back with the limit, and they're like, perfect. The course that you're going to pay for is like, let's say it was a $3,000 limit. I forget what it was. But the course that you're going to pay for is $2,997. So you're in your credit limit. You're fine. And I'm like, okay so sure so i uh, i bought it um i still have all of those books i mean everything from tax liens to you know flips and all sorts of stuff um and obviously the market around that time was 
still doing pretty good. Um, anybody could get a mortgage in 2006. It was like, you know, if you were breathing, you fog a mirror, you get a mortgage. <laughs> so that really kind of inspired that whole, uh, that whole thing. Um, and uh, I got pretty close to getting my first property uh, up in Derry, New Hampshire with my, who was supposed to be my brother-in-law. Uh, he was my, uh, my father's fiance's son. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it didn't work out. Uh, we actually were almost ready to close on the house and things just kind of fell apart at the last minute. So I tucked tail and, and uh, we kind of split up our little partnership there. And, um, and then I ended up going back to renting and uh, wasn't too lovely. Uh, I didn't enjoy being, being a renter again, but that's where I was. And then uh, 2009, uh, the market was not in great shape. Um, so there was a lot of, a lot of stuff lingering, uh, lingering around. And uh, at this point I had read Rich Dad, Poor Dad maybe two times, three times. Um, and I was just going and looking at anything I could see. Uh, and I got myself my, uh, my first deal in uh, 2009, a duplex in Lowell, Massachusetts um, as a short sale. Um, and uh, that was a, a fun experience of, I think it was about nine months overall of back and forth. Um, I was third in line on my bid and uh, they came back to me about a month after the, it went under contract because the other two had fallen out. Mm -hmm. And they came back and they said, do you, you want to proceed? And I said, absolutely. So we, uh, we rode that thing through and about nine months later, well, about eight months later, they came back and they said, we're not going to renew you for another 30 days because somebody just gave us an, a higher offer. I was like, how is that possible? Like we, yeah. we have, we have an agreement. What are you doing shopping this property around again? I don't understand. Yeah. Um, so essentially at that point I got extorted by the bank for about $30,000, but, uh, I needed the property at that point because now I was emotionally attached to it and I was losing my apartment because I didn't renew my lease because I was like, oh, I'm going to close. I'm going to have a new place to go. So uh, I paid the extra $30,000. Uh, I don't love that I did that, but it was still a decent deal. And, uh, you know, I had to go in and fix up the place, get the first floor rented, which first time landlord, I was not prepared for that at all. <laughs> um, it sat empty for a while. I didn't do a very good job marketing it. And eventually I went with friend of a friend um, and basically gave it to them for way under market. Um, and I got into that nervous, nervous mode of, oh, I can't increase the rent. I mean, if I increase the rent, they're going to leave and I don't know how to market and all this stuff. And um, obviously I continued to develop my, my uh, passion for real estate during this time, um, living in this house hack duplex. Um, and then I eventually did get to the point where I was like, I'm going to start to treat this more like a business. And I started to talk to the resident, the tenant about increasing their rent. Um, and that's went okay for a little bit. You know, I, I bumped it like 25 bucks and uh, it was okay for a little. And then we moved out. We moved into our first single family home up in uh, Pelham, New Hampshire, my wife and I. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had to rent the other unit. And at that point I knew I needed to make it a business. I can't, uh, I can't be afraid of it or whatever. So uh, listed it on, Craigslist and newspaper and all sorts of stuff. And I got all sorts of the people you don't want walking your property, <laughs> looking at it. Um, so that's when I uh, you know, really started to take it, take a little bit of a harder line on uh, how to manage that property. So, and I think about 2012 or so, I was fully out of that property and treating it like a business. So about three years. That's awesome, man. That's definitely, you know, kind of quite the way to start. How was it like, especially being a short sale too? Like, are there a lot more like steps and stuff with the bank like that you have to go through, like to get that to kind of. Yeah. I mean, not, 
I didn't experience any real, I mean, there weren't a lot of extra steps for me. I know on the seller side, there definitely were because they had to meet certain criteria to prove that they couldn't afford it or, yeah. um, you know, that the value was set the right way. Because obviously the, the issue that always came up at that point was the, the, it would be marketed at a really low price, right? Everyone yeah. would jump on it. A bunch of people would put offers in and then the banks would eventually, or the seller would accept an offer but the bank had no idea. They didn't accept that offer as a write-off. They're not going to say, oh yeah, I'll take whatever you get. So they needed to do their due diligence and find out what the house was really worth. And I think ultimately that's what happened was they looked at and they said, yeah, we're not going to let this place go for that number. If that guy wants the house, we're going to have to get another $30,000. And if not, we'll put it right back on the market at the price that the bank agreed to. Yeah. And we'll see if somebody else wants to get at it. So I, uh, I kind of just rolled with it. And uh, like I said, I, Felt a bit extorted at that point, but I didn't have a choice. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I pulled the trigger and I went, but it was, it was just drawn out, very drawn out process yeah. uh, at that point. I constantly asking for updates and nobody could tell me anything. And then as soon as it was like in that last 30 days, it was fast and furious. Like you need to let me know within like six hours, if you want to up your number or not, and they're going <laughs> to move on. And I'm like, dude, like I, I've been sitting on this for nine months and now it's like, you have six hours to decide if you're going to move forward. I'm like, I'll, I'll move forward. Sure. Fine. Let's, let's do it. So it was crazy, but I mean, it was an FHA, you know, so uh, low down payment. And um, I mean, I think ultimately I came out of pocket, maybe, I don't even remember, it was like maybe 13, $14,000. Um, to get into a duplex in, in Lowell, which nowadays is unheard of. Yeah, that's um, awesome. <laughs> and, uh, it worked out. I mean, I was I was a um, I was a partner in a business at that point, and uh, I had left the business to pursue another opportunity. And basically, it was my buyout. Um, it was my buyout of the partnership that I had sitting in the bank, and uh, that's what I used as a uh, as the down payment. So, worked out. The stars aligned a little bit. You know what I mean? And I I had licked all my wounds from uh, losing the the property up in Derry, New Hampshire. And, you know, I'd saved up a little bit and, uh, you know, we, we were able to move forward, but my wife made it very clear at that point. She wasn't my wife at that point, but made it very clear that this was my, this was my adventure. adventure. <laughs> yeah, she's like, she's like good, bad, or indifferent. This is yours. Like it's, you do what you want to do with it. And as soon as you close, I'll look at it, but I don't want to have any influence over what you're doing. This is, this is your thing. So I was like, okay. So sure. she had a lot more to say about the house that we bought together up in Pelham, though. That's for sure. <laughs> that's not a bad thing. That that's awesome, man. Oh my god. <laughs> hey, I mean, I I feel like there's a lot a lot of value in there, you know, especially like just from being like the third offer, you know, that was in yeah. like a, a long time ago, you know, and like just keeping it in and like at least throwing your hat in the ring, you know, just to see what happens because you never know. Yeah. I mean, like you said, like those first two offers fell through. And yep. I mean, they're going to stay motivated to sell their place. So, you know, of course, yeah. they're going to keep going down the line for people who put offers in and uh, you never know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was it gave me the uh, the confidence. I put another uh, offer in uh, recently. Actually, it was another another short sale um, that just came on the market a couple of months ago. Um, I put an offer in and I, I got the word that I was second in line. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, the realtor called me and he's like, hey, do you want to? Do you want to hold your position or are you just going to back out? And I said, no, hold my position. I've, I've been in this rodeo before. Like, you don't know. Do Six it. months later, the person who's in first position might be like, this is not worth my effort. I'm, I'm out of here. And then it'll fall to me. And I think my numbers still work. So yeah, definitely keep me in second position. And if it comes my way, I'll, I'll make it work one way or another. So 
Of course. It's not bad to be in second or third third spot, especially in the short sale. It does not does not happen quickly necessarily. So it might <laughs> pop back up on you. Be just dropping dropping deals like, oh, here's one and here's one. So. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. You know, and like even yeah. like I heard somebody recently. Um, he was a, a very well established agent. Uh, you know, from one of the the bigger markets out out west, and he was telling me that. I forget how many offers exactly it was, but probably between like 20 and 30 offers, he ended up getting accepted that were like second or third place offers, like just in this year alone. And like, yeah. he, he does like a crazy amount of volume, you know, like full-time agent, like whatever. But I mean, like the point still being like, it's, it's going to happen eventually. You know, if you keep putting offers in like, yeah, you're going to keep getting beat out, but eventually, you know, you're going to get that phone call that, that you got saying like, hey, you know, these guys backed out. Like, do you still want to kind of give this a shot or the hell yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, I mean, just, just know. last year, I mean, that, that happened to me. Uh, it was a, there was a five family in Nashua that I was second on uh, me and my, my business partner at the time. And um, I was a little nervous about it, but the numbers seemed to work out. Okay. And uh, I got a call from the realtor uh, and he said, Hey, you're second in line. Do you want to hold it out? And I said, yeah, that's fine. And uh, he's like, all right, well, they went with another person, but you know, we'll see. And then I think like a month later, I got a call. He's like, Hey, that other person dropped out. Do you want to go? And I was like, Oh crap. All right. So I called yes. my business partner and said, Hey, <laughs> we're up. Like they'll hold, they'll hold our offer and we can, we can get this thing done. Do you want to do it? And at that point he had started to get a little bit of a cold feet. So he's like, I don't really know with all this COVID stuff. I don't know if I really want to get into the landlord business again. And I was like, dude, this is not a good time to back out. Um, so he did. He's like, I, I just can't do it. I'm sorry. So in my infinite wisdom and my pride, um, I called the realtor and I said, take his name off. I'm going to take this deal down myself. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, okay. So he drafted it up and uh, woke up at two o'clock in the morning that morning uh, in, a, in a panic. <laughs> uh, started crunching numbers right there on the, on the nightstand. And I was like, holy crap, I can't. I, I don't think I can do this by myself. I needed... I needed that financial backing of my partner. Yeah. Um, and so I had a panic attack. And as soon as the, you know, I thought my realtor was up, I didn't want to call him at two in the morning, but get a cup of coffee in. And then I called him up and I said, Hey, I, I can't do this. I I'm getting cold feet. My guy backed out on me. I just, I'm a little nervous about tackling this big of a project on my own right now. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to regret it. I think, but you know what? I think it's the right decision for me right now. And he's like, okay, that's fine. So we, we just walked away from that. 30 days later, that realtor called me up. He's like, hey, are you sure you don't want it? And I said, yeah, I can't make those numbers work myself because I'd have to do one unit at a time and I'd be tapping out all my HELOC money and everything. Yeah. And he's like, okay, if you're okay, I'm going to go after it. And I said, dude, have at it, man, and keep me informed. Yeah. Um, and he's like, I definitely will. He's like, as long as you're good and you're not going to go after it. He's like, I'm not going to take a deal from you. And I said, no, I can't. I can't touch it. He's like, okay then I will continue this conversation with the seller. And he took it down and uh, he bought it. So good for him. And I've heard a little bit more about it and it seems to be working out for them. And, um, you know, I'm following it. It's a deal I was, I was close to and I was trying to make work and I put a lot of time into crunching numbers. And, uh, uh, but it's good to know that somebody close to me got it and I can actually, you know, live vicariously through, through that renovation process through him and uh, see how it does for him. And, you know, we're all, we're all better for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's really cool, man. You know, even like how we called you like a couple different times, you know, asking like, hey, like, are you sure <laughs> you don't want to do this? And, you know, and 
like I said, you know, like like we were talking about a couple of minutes ago, like it, it could just be one of those things that wasn't meant to be, you know what I mean? Or right. like everything happens for a reason or, you know, and like you, you get to see, I mean, it is kind of cool how like, you know, you know, the guy that, that ended up taking it down and yeah. like get to see like how he's going to do it and like, you know, his process and stuff and how it goes. That's, that's pretty special, you know, yeah. and at least, I mean, that I feel like that's something that's pretty big too, is like making sure well, I guess like analyzing an opportunity, but making sure you don't over leverage, especially, you know, like if you're trying to do it in like a partnership and like somebody backs out on you and it's like, oh boy, like, <laughs> you know, and, and just to have that, um, I don't, I don't even know what to call it. Like just to be able to make that like super tough decision, like this yeah. could be a, a good deal, but it could also be a huge risk as well, you know, for like yeah. just me and like, you know, I, I feel like that's something that's pretty powerful, you know, instead of like just kind of taking like a ridiculously big risk, um, you know, if, you know, <laughs> yeah. but well, I mean, again, it's, it's one of those things where, I mean, I, I, I had listened to a, a few of your, uh, your podcasts prior. And I mean, I think they're all, they're all great. They all have a lot of value uh, to them, but I'm reminded of, uh, uh, I think it was Stefan uh, who you yeah. had on and uh, his, his mindset that he was talking to his buddy about, and it's just like, oh, just, just put the offer in, you get it, figure it out then. So, I mean, I didn't exactly have the YOLO mindset at that point, you know, like, who cares? <laughs> if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, I'm a little, I'm a little more risk averse. I'm a very analytical guy. Um, and uh, if I couldn't make my, if I couldn't clear the clouds in my own head, um, I knew I'd be just getting in my own way. So uh, yeah. I had to back out of that one, but uh, definitely there are a lot of investors that are YOLO. You know what I mean? You only live once, let's <laughs> throw it out there and see what happens. Um, so there, you have to take risk. hundred percent, you have to take some risk, but um, I take uh, as many calculated risks as I can, as opposed to not knowing what I'm doing. Um, yeah. Cause that's just my personality is I need to, I need to be able to calm my own mind. Otherwise uh, the stress would just get to me. So of course. Yeah, I, I totally get it, man. You know what I mean? And just finding that balance between like taking that risk and, um, you know, like keeping it calculated and everything and, um, you know, just being able to to kind of explain like why, you know, you would want to come in at this number and like, you know, just kind of put the numbers together. And yeah, I mean, once you once you run the numbers, you run enough exercises on it, you get comfortable with it. Like, yeah, I mean, I, it happened with the, with the flip that I did uh, recently. Um, you know, I got, I got a text from, uh, from Matt on the Candor team. Um, and uh, I know I told this story at the, uh, at the, the Candor uh, Pines and Properties meetup in Lowell, which I recommend everybody go to if you're in the Lowell area. Guys, it's great. Um, <laughs> good time. Um, but yeah, he just sent me a text. He knew I was looking in that area. He's looking, he knew I was looking for some doors. And uh, this thing came on. He sent it over to me. He's like, hey, I think this might work for you. And I was like, yeah, get me in today. And he's like, they won't let you in today. They'll, they'll let everybody in on the weekend. I was like, well, I, that doesn't sound good. And he's like, I think the numbers work. He's like, put an offer in. So I ran some numbers. I said, what do you think the ARV is? And he told me, and I was like, all right. Uh, and then I did some digging. And when I came up with, again, you don't, you don't just trust because you don't want to put that burden on anybody else. He's not yeah. taking the risk. I am. Yeah. And his, his data is just another data point. So he tells me what he thinks the value is. I run some numbers and I'm like, okay, I see how he got there. And now I can confidently say, I believe that that is the number. So I said, yeah, put a deal in, put it up. Let's get this thing done. And uh, sure enough, they accepted the offer that day and um, we had it locked up. Um, but that was a, you would think that's a huge risk. You know, I get a text from a realtor saying, here's a property an hour and a half away from you. 
uh, it's a decent price point. I promise it'll be worth more when you fix it. Um, but at this point, I had walked well over or, or analyzed well over 80 deals. Um, and I had walked, I don't know, 50, 30 or 30 to 50 deals. Yeah. Um, and I had offered on about 13 or 12. I think this was deal number 13, lucky 13. Hey. Um, that they finally <laughs> accepted. So I had a lot of a lot of deals that didn't go through. That's fine. But um, if you think you're going to put one offer out and you're going to get it, um, you, you're you going to hurt yourself. You're going to yeah. be really frustrated <laughs> really fast. You know what I mean? It's a it's a game of uh, endurance and uh, and numbers. You know what I mean? And the more exercises, the more reps you do, um, the easier you're going to see things and the numbers are just going to look right. Um, unfortunately, now I'm looking in different markets because I didn't uh, I didn't enjoy working that far away from home. Yeah. Um, and my contractors flat out told me if I get another deal down there, I have to find a new contractor. So Ouch. <laughs> uh, I, have to, <laughs> I have to take that into consideration. My resources don't want to go that far. Yeah. Um, and I don't have other resources ready in that area. So I uh, definitely got to get to an area where I feel comfortable. But now I have to go back and, and reanalyze some of these other markets so that I can look at a deal, uh, whether it's MLS or a wholesaler or uh, word of mouth or phone call. Uh, and I can know pretty quickly. Yep, that number seems right. Let's let's do something. Yeah, I love that, man. That's that's huge. So how um how uh how did that flip go? I know you kind of you know told a, a very awesome story, you know, at the <laughs> the Pines and Properties meetup. Um, but but yeah, it was uh it was an experience. You know, what I mean, I I have a very a very strong construction construction management background. Right, I, I grew up in the trades. My father was a roofer. He owns a roofing business. To this day, he's still doing what he can. Um, but it uh it takes a toll on your body. You know, what I mean, working for that many years uh, in the trades, um and you know, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to deal with the trades. And, uh, you know, every time I talked about it, he's just like, no, no, you got to do better. You got to be better. Uh, so that's why I went to school for architecture. I thought I was going to be an architect. Um, and I got into that a little bit and uh, realized that I didn't, I wasn't good at drawing pretty pictures, but I could make things work. Right. Yeah. So the engineering side of it, I was much better at. So um, I fell into the architectural engineering, kind of the making it stick, making it work as opposed to really pretty. Um, I could design a hell of a box, um, but, uh, you know, I have, I'm a big fan of Frank Lloyd Wright and stuff like that, but I, I don't, I don't have that vision. I don't have that design, uh, vision like, like they did, uh, back in the day, but I had the trade knowledge. You know what I mean? I was, I was, I'm in construction. And, uh, so I thought, yeah, I can definitely do this. This is, this is my thing. I can, I need to flip. So since 2009 or 2006, when I went to that annex, I was like, with all the skills that I have at this point in my life, flipping makes the most sense, yeah. but I just couldn't get off the ground. Uh, and then I got the duplex and I was like, all right, well, I can fix this. So I fixed the duplex myself. Um, but then beyond that, I just kind of, you know, life started to happen. I started to kind of lose the momentum on that front. So I, I uh, you know, I focused more on my life and growing my family and everything like that at that point. Yeah. Um but getting back to the flip, it was, you know, I felt good. I ran the numbers and I felt I had a good crew that could do the work um, and uh, stumbled a little bit um, on a, a little a little whoopsie on my front steps that uh, we had to rip out because they were not safe. Uh, so that was the very first thing. I didn't want to have any of my guys getting hurt coming in and out of the property, especially because I closed in the winter um, and I didn't want the stairs to be covered in snow or that plywood that they put on the top to rot out. Yeah. So one of the first things I told my guys to do is get rid of the stairs. 
Um, and then, uh, so we didn't have stairs in the front. We had stairs on the side uh, throughout the project. And the very last thing that the, my guys did before they left the property was replace the stairs. They replaced them to match exactly what was there, not to code. So we had, uh, we had a little visit from the building inspector, um, shut me down. I went over there to do the last fluff and buff on the property, get it ready for some photos. And uh, I got a stop work order uh, because the, uh, the stairs didn't have risers uh, on them. Um, so we tried to make the case that we tried to go back in with what was there. He's like, no, that's, you replaced the entire set of stairs. Um, you know, we're not going to just let that fly. So, um, we, uh, we, we had a conversation with them. We figured out what he was looking for. So we made it right. Um, and we got that through, but that cost me three months, three months of not getting this thing on the market. Um, so I was panicking at this point, if, if all the numbers went the way I originally planned, um, I would have paid for this education. Um, it would have been, I mean, hell, I went to college twice. I got my bachelor's and my master's. Those were not free, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so here I am staring down the barrel of yet another relatively expensive education, but um, it would have been cheaper than both of those. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but I was definitely uh, setting myself up to lose a little bit of money. Um, however, the market, um, you know, un unbeknownst to anyone, blew up. <laughs> Uh, so that, that three months actually made me my profit without three months of market appreciation that I had no control over. Um, I would not have made money on that deal. Um, but I wouldn't have been upset about it at the end yeah. of the day. I, I had gotten into my own head and told myself that even if I lose money on this deal, I have to look at, it. I have to frame it differently. It's, it's, uh, it's a cost of education, right? We all buy books. We buy audible, uh, audio books and, memberships to real estate organizations if this is something that we're we're passionate about so we we invest in this anyway that the roi might not be as easy to I, to calculate on a spreadsheet but it's still there you put the money in yeah so i had to look at it like that and then i also looked at it like um you know i, I forget where it was it might have been one of the kiyosaki books uh, but ultimately a loss is not a loss unless you stop right so if if i had lost money and that's it. I panicked. I'm like, oh, that's it. Never mind. I'm, I'm done. Um, then yes, it would have absolutely been a loss. But if I had lost money here and then succeeded on a deal over here, all that loss does is it helps offset some of the profit of the other one. And okay, it's, it's still a win. You know what I mean? So you just can't look at that as I'm um, afraid to lose a couple bucks because again, you pay for education. It, you're right. College tuition is not cheap. So you, know, you pay a little <laughs> bit and you learn, or you look at it like, Hey, as long as I don't give up after the first one, this will be worth it. You know, I'll be able to offset that. So that helped me get through that one. And uh, yes, I did. I did make a little bit of money at the end of the project. I did bonus out some of the guys that helped me that uh, um, that had the project get there. Everyone was paid in full throughout the project, but um, I was happy I got to the finish line and I was happy that the market appreciated what it did. So I sent out a couple couple checks to some of the labor guys that uh that really helped me get to the finish line so i know that they really appreciated it and i definitely appreciated getting it to getting it to the finish line of course man that's yeah. phenomenal you know like especially for looking at it like a tuition cost you know like I, I feel like that's such an important thing even like you know the thing that i kind of see too is like on a, a, a much like smaller level is even like during inspections so like, you know, if you're paying, I don't know, like four to like $700 for an inspection, you know, it's depending on who you use and stuff, but even like just walking around with your inspector and like, just, 
you know, watching them like, you know, go through certain things and like, you know, stick screwdrivers through beams, hopefully not too bad, <laughs> you know, or like yeah. opening up panels and everything, like just asking questions. And like, even if like you find out that your inspection report's like 200 pages long, you know, and you're not going to continue with the deal, like the amount of knowledge that you get from that is absolutely, absolutely. crazy. And that's, that's absolutely. the thing. I totally agree, man. Like you could look at some of these things as a loss and that you lost money or you could look at it as an experience and you just like learned a, a shitload from it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I feel like it's really, really important to look at it that way. And like, I don't know, cause it can be pretty discouraging, you know, if not, <laughs> you know, and like, who yeah, knows? hundred percent. And I mean, it's like, I've, uh, you know, the inspection reports are definitely valuable. If you get the right time, a home, the right type of home inspector, uh, they are invaluable. Um, I mean, I'm at a point where, because I have the construction experience, I don't lean that heavily on a home inspector, yeah. um, you know, which is good. It saves me a little bit of there, but trust me, I paid for the education that I have in construction. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I still do it. I, I build stuff a little bit here and there. I built out my basement at my house and, and I built a shed in my backyard, um, you know, by myself and I'm handy, right? I'm a do it yourselfer, um, which helps learn and, and know how those processes work. Um, but I've, I've paid for that education over time. But to your point, appraisals, right? Nobody likes to pay for an appraisal. It's, it's not fun <laughs> to have to pay for an appraisal. But I've saved every single appraisal I've ever had done on my primary purchase, on my refis, everything, because I want to get in the mind of an appraiser. I want to know, how did you value this? Okay, you look at this unit and this unit or this, this house and this house. And I know that you value the bedrooms at about $10,000 or whatever it is. Let's say a, a garage, $20,000. And you only know that because it's market specific and your appraiser gives you all the data, yeah. right? So you look at this breakdown and you're like, okay, these are the, the bullet points that he's looking at. And this is how it compares to the neighboring properties. And I take all that data and I built all sorts of spreadsheets in the background, nowhere near as, as, uh, as, you know, robust as some of the uh, software engineers I know the Candor team has has a, has a, a stellar, you know, a, a sleuth when it comes to this stuff. He's really good. But um, I have a really basic Excel sheet, but I just plug the data in because it helps me wrap my head around, okay, you know, I don't have a lot of comps, but I know that, you know, there's one bedroom difference between mine and theirs. And I know that roughly that's about this value. Otherwise, you're just completely shooting in the dark. But all that documentation, don't throw it away. It is all valuable. Home inspection reports, appraisal reports, anything that helps you get into the mind of the people that you're working with. And like lenders, I can't tell you how many times I tried to reverse engineer a lender's debt to income calculation. Yeah. Don't know if you know this, but they're all different. Yeah. Every one of them is different. Um, I had one good lender that, uh, that I was dealing a lot with and, uh, you know, like six months in or, or eight months in, I'd be like, hey, you know, I know we just refinance my property but what are the rates looking like right now i want to know how things are doing he's like what are you doing to me and i'm like i just want to know he's like no you want me to run you the run the calcs for you don't you and i said well i just want to i want to check my own numbers he's like yeah all right so i give him all the data again and i was like don't run my credit because i'm not going to go through this process but assume my credit hasn't changed but here's all my other numbers and everything like that and he's like okay this is what your debt to income comes down to and i said okay great so if i pay off this loan I drop myself down, I qualify for the mortgage. If I take out another credit card or if I buy that project over here and I use my home equity line, 
I have to be careful because it's going to throw off my debt to income if I don't do it structured in the right way. So every one of those interactions is something to learn from, hands down. Um, so take it all, take it all. And I have post-its all over my office with little tidbits I've learned. When I look at my closing sheets, my HUD statements, yep. I digest those things, right? So I know roughly what my, my closing costs should be on a purchase and what they should be on a refi. Um, so I have a number that I feel good about. You know what I mean? It's just collect the data of the information you have and compartmentalize it. Be like, all right, this is what a buying closing cost package looks like. This is what a selling closing package looks like. Uh, and all that helps you get better at your numbers going forward. So it's all about the reps, you know? That's huge, man. Especially from the appraisal reports too. Like yeah. there's, there's a lot of information on those. And like, if you can even like, you know, just like building up relationships with like appraisers and stuff like that, you know, just to kind of see like what the behind the scenes look like. So then exactly, you know, like at least you'll have a little bit more of an idea of like what goes into their process and like, you know, kind of what happens if you do this or like same thing with the lender, you know, and like uh, how they certain ones run their debt to income. And like, if you structure, like if you want to buy this project this way versus, you know, going through the bank this way, like things are going to all fluctuate. You know, and like if you can have that like insider kind of knowledge of how those kind of people go through with that stuff, then I, I feel like you have a, a pretty solid edge, you know, that uh, that will be extremely helpful. Yeah. I mean, again, it's an education you're paying for. But on the flip side of it as well, you know what what pain points there are. Right. You know what information an appraiser needs from you to make their job easier. You yep. know what a lender needs from you to make their job easier. If you make people's jobs easier, it's only going to make your life better, right? So it's just like, oh, I'm going to streamline my process. I'm going to get in and out of my refi like a blink of an eye. I mean, it just, it does not hurt you to get familiar with the process and take that data in and know what other people are looking for. Because I mean, that's one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn is, you know, you don't have to do it all yourself, but you just have to know what they need to get their job done a little bit easier, you know? Yeah. Partnership. exactly i i really like that man even like just trying to like streamline the process altogether because like i mean like super generally speaking if, well extremely generally speaking like the process for buying a house is relatively the same almost every time you know like you put it under contract you get your pre-approval straight or you know whatever you get like your bank stuff straightened out you know inspection pns like it's in, in like a super, super general sense, it's all the same thing. So like, how can you, you know, make that job easier for like your loan officer? Like, you know, even if it's like starting to prep, like your documents and your statements and stuff, like a couple days before they ask for it, or even like one thing that, um, that I do on the agent side that I, I realized a while back was literally right when something goes under contract, like whether, you know, for a client or myself or whatever to book the inspection, like absolutely ASAP. Like the second that you get the phone call, like I'm already on the computer starting to get this thing together, you know, because I have like one guy that I absolutely like love to use. And like he's been on a couple of them. I absolutely love him. And, um, you know, you got to go on to like the website and like, you know, fill it out and pay for not pay for it yet, but um, see what times are available and stuff. And like if you wait a couple of days, like, you know, you never you never know, like you could get taken like that. You know, it could already be too yeah. late. But um. Yeah, like I realized that the hard way, you know, from one of the transactions was like I was waiting on actually the listing side 
to see if like, oh, you know, like, would you guys mind if he came on uh, like a Saturday? Like, are the tenants okay with that? And I waited like maybe a day or something like that, like just to, you know, wait for them to answer. And I still ended up, you know, getting him, but I was lucky. But what I learned instead was to just like book it right away for the weekend and then call and then you can always reschedule, you know? So like, if it doesn't work out, like you can maybe just switch the days and be like, oh, well, you know, I have him like he's even like, you know, kind of locked up in a way, like he's like a under contract kind of deal. And now you can actually just fluctuate your days to accommodate, you know, the seller side. But before I was like, you know, like basically borderline risking, like losing that inspector, like at that time, because I was waiting for somebody to answer, you know, like it's, it's just kind of stuff like that. Like just to be able to streamline things. Like, so, you know, they go kind of the way that you want them to. And at the end of the day, it helps everybody out altogether, you know? And like, yeah, even like with the loan officer, like, just like, you know, that you're going to need like, you know, your two years of W2s and like your bank statements and like 1099s, you know, this, that, the other, like, if you can already start to prep that stuff and get it ready, like before it's even asked for, like, you're probably going to blow the lender away. Be like, all right, like I already have all this stuff, like ready to go. Like, how do I make your job as easy as possible? Right. Or even like, you know, with attorneys and stuff too, like, you know, what kind of emails do you have to send off, um, you know, with like certain people tagged on them? Like, what do you need to produce? Like, just try and streamline everything on that's like on your side as much as possible, kind of like before they actually ask for it, you know, like, let's make this thing like fast, you know, and I don't know, it's, it's a fun game that I'm trying to figure out <laughs> at the very beginning. Yeah, then you're not, you're not going to know it all from your first transaction. You're exactly. not going to learn that all from a book. Yep. You have to yep. go through it because, I mean, you can learn, right? You can read a book and you can learn. That's great. Some people use Audible. That's great. Some people like the video aspect of it. That's great. But there's nothing better than the tangible doing it part that really starts to like ingrain it in your brain and be like, all right, I've read about it. I've actually put it into practice now. And now I know because memory is a tangible thing. Like when you actually touch and feel and you know the process because you've lived through it. Yeah, it's going to be a lot easier for you to recall than, oh, you know, 17 books ago, there was a process chart in that. Where's that book? Maybe I can find the page I highlighted. Um, So you're again, you're not going to know it all. But um, going through the process and not being afraid to go through the process, um, it'll start to make it clear and make it obvious. And it's just going to be you'll be walking around be like, what do you mean? You don't know how to do that. It's it's obvious. It's it's easy, right? Because you've lived through it. You know it now. And it's part of your memory. And it doesn't go away from that point. So. Exactly, man. I I couldn't agree more, you know, and even like, just kind of doing something for the first time, like, I feel like you, you know, once you get that, like, push to do it for the first time, and like, even if everything kind of, you know, goes to ship, (laughs) um, like, at least you have that, like, baseline of that experience. So now, like, once you do it once, now you can start to, like, build on that baseline. And like, honestly, like, I I feel like it's just kind of like doing something for the first time that's like, you know, scary as hell. And like after that first experience, then you could be like, all right, like, how am I going to make this easier for every other time that I have to do it? You know, I'm like, how am I just going to streamline this, like for all of these next times and like get through this? And you're right. And it's all done through action. You know, like, yeah. w- what's that phrase they say? Like, you can't like read how to ride a bike or something like that. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's something like that. But, <laughs> you know, or you can read how, how to ride a bike, right. I guess. But like, you're not gonna, it's not, it's not just gonna translate to like a physical right. thing, you know, like, you just have to do it. 
you yeah. know, and it's yeah. The more the more senses that you can trigger when you're learning something, the the more it's going to be solid memory. You're going to be able to recall it when you need to. So yeah. when you're just reading it, you know, it's just your brain working. You're processing it. But when you're hearing it, you're obviously also hearing and you're listening to it. When you're actually going through it, you're feeling all the emotion yeah. of going through a deal. Um, that feeling is what makes it a little bit easier to, to go forward when you're like, all right, I remember how this felt and I want to make it better next time or something like that. So yeah, when you engage more senses in a process, it makes it a lot easier to learn a topic or something like that. So yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree, man. So Dan, to kind of jump into, um, jump into the next part here, what's kind of your, your drive and your vision like for the long term? Well, I mean, so it really comes down to like the, what's your why, right? Um, yeah. I got, I have uh, my wife and two daughters. Um, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. Um, and I'm, I'm young enough to want to be able to enjoy my life while I'm young enough to enjoy it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone's working to retirement and that's, that's fine. You know what I mean? Everyone's going to get there eventually, but I want to get there a little sooner, or I want to get there on my own terms. I don't want to necessarily work a W-2 for that entire time. I want the freedom to be able to choose how I spend my time on the things that make me happy and to take on experiences that I want to have, or my wife and I want to have and give my kids experiences that I never had growing up. Yeah. Um, because again, the it's like I just said, it's that feeling when you start to engage more parts of your body in, in uh, and your being when you're doing things like that, it stays with you longer, right? So I could teach my kids about Italy, or we could take a plane over there and we can cruise the Venice canals in a gondola. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there are experiences I want my kids to have. Um, there are experiences I want to have. We have a bucket list of things that we want to do. We want to see the world. I mean, I have a, a little bit of a vision board that I created about two years ago. I have my little it's, um, it's actually right in front of my desk. My, I'm staring at my computer. It's right there. So I can see it whenever I'm running numbers on deals. Yeah. Um, I actually, it's a, it's a thermometer gauge, right? So as I'm adding cash flow into the, uh, into the funnel, the thermometer is starting to get hotter and hotter till I get to that financial freedom number. Um, and I mean, up there, I have uh, graduation caps, right? I paid for school. I'm still paying for school. I'll be paying for school until I retire. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hopefully but soon, I want, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I want uh, I want to be able to give my kids a little bit of a leg up on that front. You know what I mean? I want them to not stress like I did coming out of school and worrying about the all that extra cost that school debt puts on. So I want to help my kids get through college. I don't think I'm going to pay for it at all because there's another lesson there by having them pay for it themselves. Yeah. Um, but I don't want them to hurt trying to get through it. So I want to help them get there. Um, I got a picture of a, of a plane on the, on the globe. Again, like I just talked about their experiences, there's travel I want to take in and there's things I want to do. Uh, cruise ship, that's part of that whole thing. I went on my first cruise, I don't know, like four years ago, five years ago. Um, and I was like, this is awesome. Like you get to jump off the ship, check out some culture, jump back on. And it's just like, it's almost like an all-inclusive. It's like, this is, this is cool. I'd like to do this every once in a while. Um, and then uh, my, I don't know, my, my self-pleasure thing is I, I, have a I want to get a 1969 Mustang Mach 1 428 Cobra Jet. Uh that's my dream car, right? So um I have to get to a point where I have enough money that buying a car like that, which if you buy a show car, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's not what I want. I don't yeah. want a show car. 
<laughs> I want a car that I can comfortably drive. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not going to be great for the environment, and I'm, I apologize in advance for that. <laughs> um, but uh, but there's just there's something about that that Mustang uh, that I just I love. Um, yeah. I wasn't born in '69, but something about the '69 Mustang, uh, Mustang Mach One it just it it resonates with me, and I want to get my hands on one, but I want it to be a a more modern take on it. I want some modern amenities in it, so it's not going to be a true a uh, true car. So I want to be able to save up so I can get something like that, but you know, not too soon. Yeah. Um, and then it's always been a dream of mine. I did Habitat for Humanity a couple of times, some volunteer work. Um, and uh, I would love to be able to be in a position to fund uh, a home for our troops or Habitat for Humanity, um, things like that. But that's kind of, that's out there. You know what I mean? But I want to work towards it. You know, that's, that's kind of my it's a big, it's a big why there's a lot of legs to that, but um, you know, that's what kind of gets me heading in that direction. So. I love that, Dan. How was the, um, how was the vision board been for like, just kind of, I, I guess like working, you know, and like, just like keeping that focus. Cause like, I've thought about doing it for a while, but like, I haven't actually like taken action on it. <laughs> and like, it, like, does it kind of like make you focus like a, a lot better, like just to get that visual of like, you know, like I'm here, like you see the thermometer and like the pictures and like, like, does it like, how has it been for you? Cause like, I've wanted to, I just haven't, haven't done it. So I would say when I first created it, super motivating, right? I was like, oh, I can't wait to fill this up and everything like that. But when you go several, several months, or, I mean, I have this whole big thing and uh, it, it's not that full, you know, <laughs> I, have, I have just my duplex. So I only have a very, a very little uh, filled in here. Um, so it's, it can be at times discouraging, right? I'm not going to lie to you. It can be discouraging if you're not making progress. Um, and, you know, I, I had a duplex. The, the flip I did was a duplex. Now, on the one hand, I could have hung on to it and I could have added two doors to my portfolio and I could have added some cash flow to my thermometer to get me closer. Uh, but the decision seemed right at the time to dispose of that property um, and get myself ready for the next opportunity and realizing I want something bigger. I want like five, six, seven doors on the next deal. Yeah. Um, so it's a little discouraging that I walked away from two doors, right? That I could have added to this chart and the, the education and everything that I learned from flipping that property doesn't correlate to how I set up my vision board. So it it does take a little bit away from that momentum, but again, you know, talking about it with you now, uh, it, it reinvigorates me a little bit and uh, I'm excited to get to it again. So I think that's probably the takeaway is um, you're going to be excited about doing it, right? Yeah. And setting those goals and being detailed and really thinking those things through and almost, I haven't, I haven't made it through Vivid Vision. I started it a while back, but there's a book, Vivid Vision, um, where it kind of really helps you narrate what that what that life looks like in three years or whatever and i mean to minute detail um and when you start to build it to that level of detail again it gets back to you feel it right so it's yeah. it's internalized and you start to get that that feeling like oh i, I need to because i don't feel right if i'm not moving towards it um so creating it gave me that feeling getting away from it and not adding to the thermometer started to hurt. But again, talking about it helps. So I would definitely encourage everyone to, if you're going to create a vivid vision, share your vivid vision. If you're going to create a vision board and you want that to motivate you, share it, have its accountability. The more you share it with people, you know, people might randomly six months down the road be like, Hey, I remember you told me you had a thermometer 
like vision board going? Like, how's that looking? Like, can I see it or, you know, so I think that would help is just get it, put it out in the world. Um, and, uh, and it should pay dividends, I'd say. I like that, man. Of like, you know, just kind of, you know, putting that kind of thing out there, like, Hey, like, this is what my goals are. Like, this is where I am. And just having that accountability of like, you know, just other people seeing it and like, Hey, you know, I'm like, this thing's going to go up, you know, and just kind of having that, like, yeah, a pretty much additional, um, I don't know what to call it there. Additional, uh, accountability. Yeah. I, I guess that's the only word for it. You know, <laughs> you know, of like now all these people know about this. So like, you know, now I kind of like have to, you know, keep building it up, like along with like myself, it, it's like that extra, extra, like kick, I guess yeah. you could say of like, yeah <laughs> you know that's cool yeah, yeah and that's a lot what i think like like mastermind groups i think that's kind of a, a lot of the core i'm not in any masterminds um but um you know from the people that i know that are in masterminds a lot of them do talk about that it's, it's really it's a group of accountability partners that when you're meeting up monthly or quarterly or whatever it's really just all right i mean if you're all real estate investors everyone's kind of on the same page but if you're a mastermind group of entrepreneurs um, it's also some feedback loop, right? Where it's like, oh, this is what I'm dealing with in my business. And people can give you feedback that you're not going to think of because you're in a, you're in a different industry, let's say, and maybe somebody that's in the biotech industry might have a solution that a real estate investor never thought of, yeah. um, just a creative way to think of it. So I know that all these different mastermind groups have a lot of benefit to that regard. Um, I haven't, I'm not in one yet. It's something that I'm looking into. And um, it's, it's probably like one of those fight club things. You don't talk about fight club. <laughs> so I don't think you can just kind of invite yourself to a mastermind. Yeah. Uh, more like you got to get that secret envelope in the mail one day and be like, Oh, I've, I've joined the skull club. You know what I mean? You got so, the fight club. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so but yeah, accountability, put it out in the world. You know what I mean? Um, and just talk about it. The more you talk about it, when you talk about it, you remember it, you, you hold yourself a little bit more accountable, even if other people don't, you can't put your stuff on somebody else and expect them to hold you to it. But, um, you know, put it out there and, and own it and take it on as that is your personality. That is what you want to do. All right, guys, that concludes our creating wealth podcast episode for today. I want to thank every single person that has listened this far. It really means a lot to know that people can learn from me and with me as we build wealth together. Hopefully you can take home at least one thing from this podcast that will improve your life just a little bit. If you could, please check me out on social. That's at Kyle Curtin Real Estate on Instagram, Facebook, and I'm on Bigger Pockets. Until next time, let's build together.